Welcome to episode 13 of the Frenchie Plays Games podcast. Merry New Year! Hey, friends and gamers, happy 2023 and Merry New Year. Um, for those of you who watched Eddie Murphy and Coming to America, you'll get that reference. And if you didn't, well, Merry New Year anyway to you as well. Hey, welcome to Frenchie and glad to see you. Glad to kick off the year with uh, joining you in our hobby and joining you in the board game community. Uh, so, yeah, so I uh, got a lot of content to go over in the next two uh, podcasts and series of videos. Uh, one is a retrospective of 2022. And then the other one is looking forward to 2023, which all content creators do. Why should I be any different? Well, the only thing I'm different is I've got better sense of humor, and uh, that's not up for debate. That is an absolute empirical fact, uh, if you ask me. So anyway, uh, you know, so let's uh, kind of go into uh, 2022 a little bit, but I definitely want to say happy Happy New Year, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, for whether you had a good or bad 2022 or kind of a mixed 2022, I uh, do hope that everybody is healthy. Uh, please take care of yourself. Frenchie's gone through a very interesting 2022. Uh, take care of uh, self-care as well. And I'm realizing that board games definitely help towards that with the social interaction and the brain stimulus. But take care of your physical, mental, spiritual well-being as well, however that pertains to you. Uh, I have uh, New Year's resolutions like everyone else. Unfortunately, two of them come directly from my doctor, uh, notably diet and exercise, uh, major modifications to that, but things that I know are better for me. And so grudgingly, I accept it. But at the same time, I know that that's going to help uh, course correct some of the things that I have uh, been doing. Growing up in a restaurant industry uh, definitely does not afford you uh, the best lifestyle. And so we're in tear over decades of being in the industry uh, can show. But I, I still love it because there's a, there's a thrill in it of what I do. But, uh, you know, anyway, take care of yourself. Hey, did you know, little known fact, that uh, there's a Quitter's Day that happens around January 15th or so, or January 13th, in which uh, 68% of people have their New Year's resolutions. They have broken those New Year's resolutions by that date. What happens to the other 32%? Well, they break their resolutions the next week. So uh, anyway, so uh, that uh, that is it. Yes, uh, Frenchie does have to mind his diet. I'm going to be on more uh, no processed foods, uh, cutting out meat except for fish, uh, oily fish. That means I'm a pescatarian, uh, which, uh, yeah, I've converted. I used to be a Baptist, uh, but now I'm going to be a pescatarian. Um, you'll get that in a little bit. Uh, and uh, with some exercise and everything. But uh, I'm going to go full throttle and uh, start uh, start getting myself to a to good spot this year and thank you for uh for uh for acknowledging that and take care of yourself by the way as well so with all of that out of the way i want to do a recap of 2022 what 2022 was uh for everything it was a challenging year with the aforementioned health issues that i had but also work was challenging as well work was very busy uh my counterpart of work went down with an injury and has had uh, a numerous amount of setbacks in recovering 
And so a lot of that has come on me and it's been a challenging time and there's been some work travel and everything, stuff that's disruptive and been able to, uh, to try to focus on that and have some stability in at least one aspect of my life. And uh, I'm surprised at looking back on the year that I did as much as I did, which is amazing to me because I would have figured that even just looking at the list of games played and want to talk about and things done, uh, a fraction of what I have here uh, would have been what I expected. And uh, so actually it was not a bad year, all things considering. So I want to go over just a recap of things I've done recap of the year 2022 and how uh, the games and the gaming industry seem to perform in 2022. Obviously, as you start the new calendar year, uh, those results will uh, manifest uh, as the as other years come out. But I kind of want to give a little bit of a uh, now, ESPN, if you're a sports fan like myself, they come into, you know, the day after the World Series or the Super Bowl, the all-too-soon predictions for next year. I'm going to give you my all-too-soon prediction of how 2022 has shaped up. And then going into uh, what I feel were the best games that I've played in 2022, some honorable mentions. Some of those will be games that I have not played yet, but I hear quite highly of them from other content creators and other gamers. And then my top 20 overall for 2022. So without further ado, let's go ahead and give a little recap of Frenchie in 2022 as I get a sip of coffee. And unfortunately, I'm going to be a little off today because I have some coffee and uh, part of my job, I get some samples and I open up some samples and put it in uh, to a thing and realize that some of the samples had decaf in it. So I'm getting a little gypped today. Uh, I will try to make sure that doesn't carry over on you, the viewer, that you don't get gypped today as well. But um, that uh, is just what it is. So, but the good news is that it affords me, you know, a second cup of coffee or a third where I otherwise might not have it. Anyway, let's go ahead and talk about 2022. Just kind of give a recap. So locally for me, uh, it was the advent of uh, friends of mine, Lane and Amy, couple that live in the city next door and uh, they have had a board game meetup group that's been well over 10 years going and has had uh, well over a thousand people attend uh, over the years and so they uh, bought and uh, refurbished during the pandemic uh, one of the original mayor houses uh, in the city and have refurbished it into a board game house uh, which has multiple rooms and uh, starting actually this uh, this week, they're redoing their business model. I think it's going to be uh, very, very good for them. But uh, anyway, so they've had a lot of um, game growth in that and really helping to be a staple in the community. Uh, number one is that our game group, which has always been going on a Saturday, uh, now houses that. And we can have anywhere from uh, 20 to 40 plus people there. That's where my TI4 group meets when we when we game uh, roughly every month or so uh, for that. But uh, we meet every Saturday, and so that's been the core of what has been going on there. But uh, Amy has really expanded a lot of what goes on there as well. They have Sunday, they have an all-ages game group, so you can have kids there. Our Saturday game group is adults only, but this one's affordable for kids. Um, there's been D&D groups there. There's been kids, family-friendly games. Some of our, our group from Saturday has actually been there on Sunday as well. Uh, they do a hook and ladder club. They do an over-50s club. Uh, no, I'm not going to that one. 
Um, they have had tours. Uh, there's been some tours in the town historical and I think ghost story tours that uh, that house actually has a little history in that. And so they've been the last stop, which has actually helped out with uh, getting them on the map uh, for people who are going through there. Uh, they continue to do different events to uh, do different things, been tapping into some of the senior living houses. And so they've done really well. And so looking forward to this new business model for them and how that goes. And it's just amazing to take a passion that you have and turn it into a viable business. And I think they've made the right tweaks and uh, really looking forward to uh, to how that goes for them. And uh, again, just a really great Nick community. We always have a variety of games. We can play party games. We can play the heavy cardboard, the heavy Euros. We can play the Amera. Uh, I hate using Amera trash, but for lack of a better term, Amera style games, maybe you want to say. Um, you know, and there's just a different variety. There's games of Blood on a Clock Tower. There are people that are playing role-playing games, uh, all different types of games. And so you'll never lack for uh, anything. And uh, it's just a good dynamic group and a lot of plug-and-play people and a lot of plug-and-play game styles overall. So that's been one of the things that's been great. And as far as cons are concerned, uh, I went to four cons this past year, uh, two of them local, and then two of them actually on the west and east, not necessarily coast. Uh, the one west was Dice Tower West back in March of last year. And uh, my second Dice Tower event, I went to the Dice Tower retreat back in November, I think, of 2021, if I remember that, which was a phenomenal event and really happy that I went there. And so this one, uh, when I volunteered, which was great, uh, I'm looking forward to 2023. I'm not sure uh, if I'm going to be going again this year, just with some work commitments and trying to iron some things out, fingers crossed. But I volunteered last year, really had a great time and made me appreciate all that goes into setting up a convention to this magnitude, uh, watching the vendor booths go up, bringing in the game library, uh, trying to make sure that a couple of the busted wheels because of the floor in the Rio convention rooms has some recesses where the utilities go. Uh, we had a couple of wheels bust, so trying to hold those up and go, ah, you know, that's okay that the that the cart, you know, the, the rolling cart breaks, but don't let anything happen to the games. Uh, but being able to grab coffee with Stephen Bonacore. Uh, you know, work with Tom Basil, Tim Mativier from Meepleville uh, Cafe, who coordinates that event. Uh, and then being at the reception desk and meeting people such as Shea Parker and uh, Monique and Nadim from uh, Before You Play and the girls from Thinker Themer uh, and a variety of people meeting Mick and Starla from Our Family Plays Games uh, for the first time and just huge fans of theirs uh, and so on and so forth and just so many different people there foster the meeple uh, had a brief interaction with them as well i uh, got to play games with roy candidate and chris yee uh, met sam healy former dice tower member and we shared our thoughts on onk together a little bit different spectrums uh on, on opinions but uh, it's good to uh, see him and uh yeah it was just a great time and uh, always look forward to dice tower events and so that was a great one. The week before that, the last week of, um, of of February was Genghis Khan, which is a local convention here in Aurora, which is a city right adjacent to Denver here in Colorado in the States. And uh, that is a game convention that typically tends to get a few hundred people uh, and uh, has become more of an RPG. This past year was uh, more of a two-thirds RPG and a third board gaming. Now that was the first convention I went to when I moved out here in February of 2020. And I was out here not even just two weeks in Colorado, went to that. 
and uh, you know went to that. And there was a much bigger gaming area. And I heard somebody at Beacon, which is another local con that I went to um, later on in September, um, lament that uh, they felt that the board gamers were getting squeezed out. And uh, perhaps that's true. There's always multiple sides to a story. But uh, anyone who runs a convention uh, will cater to the group that they want. And so there's no harm, no foul. Now, you know, I don't know what the dynamics are between those two individuals, but uh, it was a, a good convention. I was able to play Battlestar Galactica for the first time. I have a copy of that, but it was great to actually play that and uh, enjoy that. Met some good friends there. Uh, met a friend who I still continue to play with uh, virtually every month, uh, Dan, who we play War of the Ring every uh just about every month and so we played there and so i was going through a tutorial game and so two people were playing two of us were learning i don't think war of the ring is a great two and two uh game just kind of like star wars uh, rebellion uh they say oh it's a two-player game but you can do i don't i don't agree with that it's just better to have just two people play it's a fantastic game dan has got an amazing house or if you walk in he's got his office off to the side and decked out uh, and Dan's a pretty good game. He plays Twilight Imperium. He plays some of the more robust war and naval battle games. And uh, But his office is all decked out. He's a huge Lord of the Ring fan. Uh, a former military, former government worker. So he looks like this serious person, but he's a geek and nerd like everybody else as well. And uh, he's got stuff that looks like it came out of the, uh, actually the set of the Lord of the Rings. He's got a nice map of Middle Earth. It's a rug uh, that's inscripted. It's in Polish uh, that... Uh, that he's got he has the tv on whenever we're playing we've got that he's got everything blinged out he just made a custom board this year for war of the ring and he kind of um scaled it so some of the different places on it were uh some of the different places on it were a little bit smaller or bigger to accommodate basically the troops and everything some of the places on the right hand side of the map which are very underutilized he shrunk those widen some places out and try to keep things uh, in a similar proportion, but more in a gameplay proportion, and then actually built in mountains and the cities and everything. It looks fantastic, labor of love, and we've played on that a couple of times. So met him there at Genghis Khan. Had a good time there, and uh, yeah, I can see that there is a de-emphasis on board games, but still able to go there. Who knows, I might uh, go and play a role-playing game. I still dabble in those from time to time. But uh, that was Genghis Khan, and uh, Beacon was the other local con that I went to. We typically have four here in Colorado. Uh, Beacon is won by Mr. B Games. Mr. B Games publisher, probably the most best-known game is Hellenica, Story of Greece. And I was able to go to that one. That was in September. And uh, that game, that convention was smaller and definitely didn't have the dynamicism of it. Uh, but really is, I think, just trying to recover from, like everybody else, just getting footing on the pandemic. And I think if what I heard, this tension between a certain individual and, and Genghis Khan is there, that might actually grow in more game, uh, board game-friendly uh, venue, although they do have a spot there for role-playing games. But it was a decent one. My favorite thing, and I really wanted to do this because he goes to the local conventions, guy by the name of V, and he's created a pod racing game uh, that uh, he has and he can have I, I think at least 16 maybe 20 people play and everyone gets a folder and this is the pod racing out of the Star Wars remember the Phantom Menace you know that 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 pre-trilogy that we all want to forget actually it's not as bad as the last trilogy but I'm going to spare that I'm a Star Trek fan so I can say what I want about Star Wars but uh, he's created this pod race game, and I saw this at a couple of conventions. I always wanted to play, sat down, and, and he really 
sets a nice pod race. We have pod race. There's a lot of different things. Excuse me as my voice fails again. Ah, man. We'll see how this goes today. Buckle up, everybody, to use a line in one of the more Star Trek reboot movies. Uh, but he uses the pod race, and it's a game where you got some dice roll, but you also have some card play. Different things can happen. You have a folder. You have your character. It might be Sebulba. It might be Anakin. It might be different characters, different pod uh, races, different ship properties. And so you're competing, and it's a roll-and-move game, but very interactive, and things can swing very closely. And really, it's a game experience. It's not so much that the game itself is the most deep strategic game, because if this game was on the mass market, I don't think it would do very well. But V brings the game to life, and he turns his chair around, so he's got the back to him and everything, and he's saying, big guy, big deep thing. He really promotes have fun, be respectful. Uh, he reserves the right to remove somebody from the table. Um, you know, we're here to have fun. We're not here to hate. We're not here, you know, and I really appreciate the fact that he does that. So he runs a tight game, but he's like, it's a game at the end of the day, everybody. And that's that's what he wants to convey. So I played, really had a great time. One of those things that I will definitely play again, because it's just, you know, you can play a couple times a year or once a year. It's definitely worth going and doing, but he's created a custom map. He and another person have actually devised this game over the years and continue to tweak it. And it comes in just different things. Got this big laminated map that we had. I don't know how many different conference tables that we had, but you, again, you can accommodate 16, 20 people. And I've seen 16 or 20 people watch 16 or 20 people play this over the years. So that was a really special experience for me, uh, the highlight of Beacon for myself, and I hope that that uh, convention starts to gain legs. And then I went to Escape WinterCon the week before in Orlando, was able to meet with some friends of mine, Chuck and uh, and Rob and a few of their friends, and then Mahir, who uh, Mahir Shaw is uh, one of the uh, designers for Viticulture World. And so we were able to play uh, before it really got released. Uh, we played the Colossus edition of Mosaic and played Wonderland's War and played a whole bunch of different games. I uh, got my experience on First Rat as well uh, there. And so played some really cool games throughout. And it was just four days of just hardcore gaming and uh, being in the muggy Orlando, uh, Florida, which, man, made me appreciate getting back to the Rocky Mountains, where there's very much, uh, very little humidity, and uh, a little bit colder, by the way, but I uh, had a great time, was able to do that, and uh, now that was an aberration, because they have it, again, rescheduled for February, which was its rightful place, but because of the pandemic and everything, the schedule had been modified for a couple of years, but they are back on track for February going forward. Uh, i Really don't know that I'm going to be going there again. We'll see. But it was a great time. And so that is a recap of 2022 as far as what Frenchie has done for games. Okay. So now that I can come up for air, uh, a little coffee and take a breather here. Let me talk about 2022, the recap of 2022, and uh, what I think the, the, the year meant for board gaming in general. Um, so some things about 2022, I think the industry started to normalize a bit. Uh, first of all, conventions came back. Now, they're still maybe not as fully robust in attendance, and there's still some precautions. Again, you know, COVID is still out there. I know people that are still catching COVID, but I think it's just going to be a fact of life that we deal with. 
And so how we deal with that as long as we try to stay healthy and be respectful of each other, uh, that's fine. But I, it was nice to see a return to in-person gaming, a return to conventions. It was nice to see fulfillment and supply chain start to get better. Now there's still disruptions, there's still things going on, but uh, I saw, and this is my observation, it doesn't mean that this was indicative of the entire industry, but I saw kind of the, um, the ice dam uh, break in the river and I saw a whole bunch of fulfillment uh, middle of the year and then it kind of shored up a bit and then came back at the end of the year as well. And I think because of some of that too, I think there were some games in 2021 that would have been released in 2021 and been merited in 2021, but fell into 2020 just by nature of the supply chain. The other thing is, uh, I think what happens in some of these, uh, some of this, now typically uh, the last two months of the year are very tough in releasing games. I know things come on the heel of Essen. People are trying to get games out before the holidays, but I think games in that time frame don't get a chance to get played or if they do get played, they don't get on a list because sometimes they get played after the list because there's a lot of games that come through. So it really makes for a challenge to, uh, to, to get some of those games at the year-end proper recognition. But I think I saw supply chain start to get much better. Again, not out of the woods yet, but we'll see how things go, particularly overseas with China, lockdowns and everything as well. But I think that uh, the industry is going to continue to chug along, and it was just nice to see. Now, as far as the games of 2022 and how we rank, we watch a lot of content creators who talk to you without interrupting for a sip of coffee or whatever. A lot of content creators say that 2022 was a fantastic uh, year for board games, and I would admit that that is the case. And uh, as I look here, uh, on uh, BGG, and I've got uh, board games coming up here. I got the listing of all the games released 2022 and where they're ranked. You know, when we look back at 2021, and I look at as of January 2nd, 2023, and the games that were released in 2021, and where they stand, there's five. One of them is Great Western Trail 2nd Edition. So Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, well, that was already, the first edition was already in the BGG Top 100. But four games in 2021 ended up in the Top 100. Sleeping Gods in number 70. As of today, Cascadia, one of my favorites, The Crew Mission Deep Sea. And then number four being Arc Nova, no surprise to most people. Uh, now that is a year after these have been released. Arc Nova really didn't get much readily available until the beginning of 2022. So when I look at that, then the next one is Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition of 160. So you got some chunks there, and then some of the 200s, 300s, and you start getting, you know, the pepper, you know, every in, in the hundreds, every block of hundreds, you get anywhere from, you know, three to four to five. But I look at the board game rating here on some of these games, and, uh, you know, high sevens, low eights, a few mid eights, you know, uh, overall. So that just gives me an understanding of the meta of what gamers thought about those games. Now let's go to 2022. So when I look at 2022, you know, the highest rated game thus far uh, from 2022 is Carnegie. Uh, and it was, was released in the U.S. by Quinn Games or Quine Games. I think it's Quinn Games. And... Uh, um, I think it was Xavier George who, who designed it. You know, to our work, uh, really solid Euro economic game. Uh, is 182, 303 is Wonderland's four, Wonderland's War 337, Oswarn 348, Nemesis Lockdown and 388 
Return to Dark Tower. So I look at those games and go, okay, I know there's a year separated from the games of 2021 and games of 2022. Uh, but already at this time in 2021, you already saw some of these games already protruding the BGG Top 100. You don't see that here in 2022. But here's why I want to draw a differentiation. I'm looking at the average rating of these games. And yeah, high sevens and low eights, but then I've got a 9.18, 8.5, uh, 8.3, another 9, uh, ISS Vanguard, which has been somewhat released, um, 8.57, um, you know, 8.49. You know, I think the 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 rating of the games, the, the average rating, not the geek rating, the average rating tends to be higher than 2022, at least in these first ones. Also, from what I hear from other content creators and reviewers is that this was a very good year. So in my opinion, from what I've seen so far, I think 2020, uh, 2022, wow, that's that's a mouthful. That's the decaf speaking. That's not Frenchy. 2022 uh, will be a fantastic year. I think it's going to rate probably one of the top five, maybe four uh, game years of all time when we start to look back on it. Uh, you know, if you follow ESPN, I'm a big sports fanatic, uh, you know, the uh, you know the U.S. Uh, sports Website and as soon as the Super Bowl is done or the World Series is done, they come up with their all two soup predictions for 2023, uh, and uh, and and that's what you can do. You can already start to uh, predict, uh, but it takes a year or two to really look back on a year and really look at how good was a year 2020, even though it was a pandemic. There was a good year for for games, a very good year for games. Now again, that's doesn't because pandemic didn't disrupt maybe the distribution of the games, but they were already in place because all the games were being designed and being put together and crowdsourced and everything in the years leading up to that. But here, you definitely have a play on that. And I think maybe because of the pandemic, maybe some of these games are getting fine-tuned in 2020, 2021, allowed them to be better. I think this year is going to rank up there. I think most people will say that probably two of the best years are 2012, 2017. Again, that's all relative, but I think 2022 is going to be a strong year, and I think it's been a very good year uh, for the board game industry. And it's nice to see some games take certain things to the next level, like Heat, Pedal for the Metal, takes a, takes a mechanic that was well-known in Flamme Rouge and takes it to the next level. And it was a nice return for um, Days of Wonder to see that. Uh, long shot, the dice game, some rolling rights really made some good uh, headway in here. Um, some very good uh, production games such as Flamecraft and Foundations of Rome. Oathsworn, uh, from a gamer's perspective, uh, has been fantastic. Um, you know, there's been a lot of solid games here. Some of these games, uh, Caper Europe has been very, very well acclaimed. Got a, a 7.9 average rating as of today on BGG. My father's work, uh, which doesn't appeal to me, but I hear a lot of rave reviews from that. Solid 8. Uh, on the geek rating here. Uh, Three Sisters came out early in the year, still rated fairly high. I mean, only in a thousand, but still 7.61. I believe that's a rolling right as well. So there's been some surprise games. Merchants of the uh, Guild of the Merchant Explorers, Twilight Inscription. There's been games that have taken things to a different level. Cat in a Box, trick-taking game, uh, Devoid of Suits. And so there's been some creativity behind some of these games as well. And I think it really lends to looking back that we're going to see 2022 at a very uh, one of the high watermarks in years of the board gaming industry. And that's just my observation taken from what I see here in the data. 
taking what I'm hearing from other reviewers, other gamers, other content creators as well. And I think we can look back and uh, and enjoy that. Again, that always sets uh, how do you look at 2023. I think you always look at every game based on its own merit. It's very easy to compare a game to another game. Very easy to compare a year to another year, uh, which I have already done with 2022, have I not? But uh, I think this year, if we take a standalone, we take these games as standalone, been very solid, been a very good year to be a board gamer. So that is my overall recap of 2022 as far as what Frenchie has done and as far as my view of, of uh, the board game community, board game industry. And so next up, we'll be talking about my top games of 2022. All right, so here is Frenchie's top 20 games of 2022. And I'm gonna start this segment just by focusing on uh, numbers 11 through 20. These are games that are great games. Just the fact that I rank them uh, you know, on the bottom half of my top 20 does not diminish the games, but it just means they're 10 games that were better, but these games were great. Again, I think that 2022 was a fantastic year for games. And so these games are definitely worth merit. Some of them may surprise you, but let's go ahead and start off with my number 20. So my number 20 is actually the smallest game by size on my list from Osprey Games, and that is Village Rails. Village Rails uh, is a game in which you have borders. Each player has uh, two borders that they piece together, and so they have this open space, and you're gonna have a series of cards that you are gonna draft uh, and basically pay for the cards as you go up, and so put coins on them. And you are going to go ahead and keep your roots connected. You're creating kind of this uh, four by four, three by three grid and keeping the lines connected and trying to get it from the starting point of where those where the rails start on your border to the end and you're going to score points accordingly now you're also going to get coins based on certain scoring conditions but also there are symbols on different ones such as the farm and the switch and so you're building up this puzzle and trying to incorporate uh you know um how the, how the uh, cards are going to score, maximize your points, your coins you're going to get from the game. You're going to have some end game scoring, a lot of variability with that. I think it's a very great game to play as a solo and test your high score. But it's also a puzzly game too because of the fact that you're drafting cards, you can kind of get in somebody's way and take cards that they want. And so having to overcome that and maybe sweeten the deal by going ahead and putting a coin on a card and going, ah, but I really need that coin and that would be better, even though that card doesn't really make sense for me. Uh, and being able to build out this little puzzle. It's a nice little filler game. I think the player interaction works best for it, but it's a satisfying solo game. And Osprey Games did really well with this small little gem of a little train puzzle game. And that is Village Rail, my number 20 for 2022. All right, number 19. As I get my list, so Frenchie types his list, and then I ascribe numbers to them. And uh, so that doesn't mean the list is in order, but everything's there. So trust me on that. Okay, so number 19 uh, is a game that got some notoriety uh, being kickstarted and then was, was fulfilled. And it just really hasn't made much of a stir uh, since. And I think uh, deserves a little bit uh, more praise than what it is by, by virtue of the player interaction of how fun this game is. You got to get the right people because there's a little bit of take that in the game. And that is myth, mythic, not mystic, mythic mischief. Yes, I'm getting my tang all tangled and my words found awful sunny. So 
Mythic Mischief is a game in which players will take on uh, ghosts or zombies or witches or different um, spooky things. They're going to be in this uh, school library. They're students. And they're going to be trying to go throughout uh, the hallways and everything, trying to avoid the tome master, kind of the headmaster, head librarian. And your goal is to use the resources, use the use the um, variability that you have on your faction to avoid the tome master before he catches you in the different phases of the game, particularly lunch, and then also trying to get the other players in trouble. And so this game definitely has a take that element. So if you're a person who doesn't like take that, setting other players up to lose points or to lose, then it probably is not going to be the game for you. But it's enough of a take that that it's an enjoyable thing. It's not necessarily cutthroat. It's not necessarily really bringing out the worst in people. It's a fun game. The theme is fun. The entire gameplay experience is very simple. And watching the Tome Master move around, you're able to move bookcases around and everything and kind of help uh, help with uh, you know, getting other players stuck and trapped. So really create some really neat decisions to set somebody up while you're trying to get off scot-free. So that's why it lands in my top 20, because of the fun factor. Uh, fairly well-produced game, and I like, the, uh, I like the variability, and I like the interaction that it gives to the players. So that is number 19 for this past year, Mythic Mischief. Okay, number 18. This is water, by the way. No, it looks like a fraternity cake cup. This is the cup I got from Hotbox Pizza back at Gen Con 2019. So number 18 uh, is a game from Game Brewer that uh, got fulfilled with another game that came out, Stroganoff, which I haven't played yet. It's on my list, so it hasn't made consideration for a list. Uh, this game I played first at Dice Tower West, and the fact that this game has not gotten much recognition to me, is just shy of criminal. Uh, it's a nice puzzly game, um, kind of uh, selection, drafting mechanism, uh, resource management, and that is Hippocrates. So Hippocrates is a game based on uh, Hippocrates or hypocrites or however you want to pronounce it, who is the supposed father of, of modern medicine, our approach to modern medicine, the Hippocratical Oath or the Hypocritical Oath. Um, and uh, I'm just saying this tongue-in-cheek, no offense, you know, my friend Amy is in the medical profession. But anyway, uh, with that aside, so Hippocrates is this game where you are selecting uh, patients. These patients are going to have maladies, and they have certain aspects denoted by certain colors of certain medicines that they need in order to be cured. And so you're going to have doctors that you need to not only hire, but also pay to retain. Uh, and they're going to have specialties that are going to reflect in those symbols as well. And so you're also going to be recruiting doctors in each turn. And then also, if you're able to recruit a doctor and get resources, you can get bonuses as well. Typically, you're only able to get one of each. But if you're able to work it where you can get both, you get additional bonuses. And then you have the point where you're going to be treating your patients. And so each doctor is going to have kind of like this puzzle interlocking thing where you're going to connect uh, the medicine and then the patient based on their medicinal needs. So you might have this doctor specializes in uh, you know, purple and green. And so this patient needs purple and green. There you go. I've got the purple and green resources. So the doctor specializes in it. We have the medicine. We can cure that patient. Maybe that patient has blue and purple, but that doctor has green and purple. So I'm not able to treat where does that patient go. So you're figuring out this puzzle 
to try to go ahead and match up the cure. As patients get treated, they get healed. As they don't get treated, they will actually get worse. They can go in a uh, worse condition, they get triage, and they can also die, okay? Morbid as it may sound, that creates the pressure and the stress of the game. So you have this suction bidding and then resource management and trying to pay to keep the doctors paid and recruit new doctors and try to maximize your resources as well as put everything together to go ahead and treat these patients before they die. And it creates a really nice dynamic because you're thinking on different levels all at the same time. Sometimes things get taken by another player before you do, which creates a nice player interaction. So the fact that this game hasn't really been considered and not in the top 10 list that I've seen, I hope it has, but in the few that I've seen so far that it hasn't, I think definitely uh, is a shame and I think really merits some consideration. It's a nice, thinky, good Euro-style game that I can really sink my teeth into and I know a lot of other people that I play games with will like it too and I can't wait to get this to the table. I played a Dice Star West and enjoyed it quite a bit in our plays with that. So that's Hippocrates by Game Brewer. Lands very solidly at number 18 for the year. So number 17 is a game by Capstone Games, who has been one of my favorite publishers in the last couple of years. And a game that, by its aesthetic, by its cover, by its title, uh, and maybe even if you just look at the gameplay spread, doesn't really inspire you to be a really good game, but I think it's a very solid game. This is a game of hand management uh, and resource and moving tracks, and it's Catherine Cities of the Tsarina. So this is a game based in the settings of uh, Serena Catherine uh, in Russia, in uh, whatever time frame that was, 17th century or whatever. And so you are drawing these cards, and you're going to be having cards that are going to be in this action row. And each card, you have different various colors of the cards. Each cards allows you to do something, but you're going to activate it by placing cards one at a time on your turn behind the card. And if that is the same color, then that card in front activates, allows you to get resources, allows you to build cities on the map. You can go and you can put uh, your, your piece there and build that city, which allows you to get a resource that's on that because you're going to have a card that allows you to get points based on the resources that you get. So I'm acquiring that. In addition, you're also going to be moving this crown token up on the main board that allows you to increase your hand size in subsequent turns, allows you to increase uh, your favor and get different bonuses uh, and score higher. And so there's all these things that come through. And then once the, the round uh, is over, then the cards that have been activated and the cards behind them go away and you're going to have the cards that were not activated for the next turn. So you're continuing to build this process of managing the cards, playing them at the right time, moving the track up, getting the resources you need, scoring points, kind of point solidity, building a route also on the map as well and getting points for the connected uh, routes they have in the map. Uh, if you pay attention to it, uh, does not lend itself to everything being connected, so you're gonna have to plan that very accordingly. Really under the radar game in my opinion, and I think it's definitely worth a look if you like anything that's Euro style, Again, the theme is pasted on, could be anything, but uh, the cover could be a lot better. But I think really plays well as, as a game in its own right. And that is my number 17. That is Catherine, Cities of the Sarina. All right. Number 16 is a horse racing betting game. Now, you're probably thinking it's one of two games. Well, I didn't play Ready, Set, Bet. Didn't have an opportunity to even see that. But Longshot, the dice game, is a game that I backed on Kickstarter and uh, almost a Kickstarter. So 
It's been a long day for Frenchie here. But uh, backed on Kickstarter, lands on number 16. It is a racing betting game in which you have up to eight players can play and you have up to eight different horses that you're going to go ahead and bet on. But it's also a uh, kind of a roll and write game where you have the dice and you're moving the horses, but you're also marking on your sheet and betting on the different horses. And based on the, how the horses go, you may have to alter your strategy of what you're trying to do on your sheet to get points and, and to win. It's a game that really scales well in a group setting. And I think with the more players, the more dynamic it gets to be. It's a lot of fun and really challenges you to be nimble, uh, to pivot, to be able to have fun. Uh, I definitely, I have not played Ready, Set, Bet, but by what everybody tells me, uh, it's a different set of mechanics, different way to play. This is enjoyable. So it combines you know, the roll and write with a nice betting, bidding mechanic and fun and something that people can easily rally around. So that ends up being my number 16 of 2022. Long shot, the dice game. Popular game already, and I think uh, Frenchie agrees with most everybody's assessment on that. All right, my number 15 is a game from Portal Games that was kind of available in 2021. Not so much, I think, in, in North America, or at least in the U.S., but has definitely come out, played it, loved it. It's a game that takes... Forex style creates a more Euro style game. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's an epic game. I think sometimes we ascribe a Forex game to be an epic game. There's a very serviceable Euro game that has semblances of Forex written very well. And it's Brazil Imperial. And Brazil Imperial is a game which you have this modular map uh, and reflects some of the uh, leaders in the uh, what 1600s, uh, 1700s, uh, as Brazil was being populated and colonized. And so you are basically uh, doing different things, like you're placing different military uh, workers on the map uh, because there's potential conflict, building buildings, maybe even renovating buildings to help them get more resources, getting resources such as wood, sugarcane, different things like that. Uh, getting one of these historical figures that give you a little bit different bonuses. Um, expanding on your map, you may have some conflicts, some war, uh, generating the resources, using these cards uh, to allow you to have better effects due to virtue of your of your of your uh, leaders in Brazil, and it's a really nice game. Plays very well. Does what I think it sets out to very well. Also, the map is modular. The map is designed to be topographically um, or geographically or however you want to call it. Um, relevant to to some of the settings in brazil but actually there's a lot of variability in the rule book on how the maps can be displayed so it creates a lot of replayability a lot of variability which is something i always like as well so the game doesn't feel scripted and how it's played and i think leaves some agency for how the players want to play it so really solid game did not get a whole lot of recognition i think part of that is because it was kind of released in 2021 it says 21 here on BGG, but really wasn't widely available. So sometimes games like that suffer. But as a public service to you from Frenchie, I'm going to go ahead and put it on my number 15 for 2022. Check it out. Brazil Imperial from Portal Games. All right. Number 14. Number 14 is on here because it is a very good game. It's also a nostalgia game. And it is a game republished by or, or reimagined by Restoration Games. It does a fantastic job at these games. It's Return to Dark Tower. I did not play the original Dark Tower, uh, which happened in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, 
you know, being a child who who grew up and was watching the Saturday morning cartoons at the time, and you saw different games like Hero Quest and Dark Tower being played. Um, you know, it was a nostalgic time. So this game brings back the nostalgia. This game itself is a modernized, so it's not Dark Tower. It is Return to Dark Tower, so reimagines the game, but has an app that empowers the tower, which allows uh, different glyphs to light up, allows the skulls to come out populated on the board, which you're going to have to make sure don't uh, overfill some of the different buildings on the map. But the players are going to be different characters. They have a character sheet. Um, they're going to be acquiring uh, different uh, abilities, and they're going to be also getting different uh, potions and weapons and everything um, and items across to go ahead and thwart these enemies that show up for these different battles, these boss battles that you have throughout the map. A really interesting play. The app does very well in syncing things up and through. Creates a nice gameplay. It does seem like it's a throwback to the late 80s, early 90s, but it's executed very, very well. Uh, I have the Alliances expansion. I got the Covenant expansion crowd sourced as well, so I'm looking forward to that. And it has been a very satisfactory game. Uh, one of my Facebook friends loves it. I believe it's his favorite game of 2021, or excuse me, 2022. Um, hey, you know, it's my favorite game of all time, no matter what the years. Uh, no, so anyway, uh, a very good game. Um, yeah, I went all in, so it can be a very expensive game, but it's a game that's definitely going to be enjoyable and, again, gives nostalgia as well as good gameplay. So my number 14 is Return to Dark Tower. All right, what does 13 have? So 13 doesn't necessarily have the theme as the other games. In fact, it seems kind of bland, seems kind of beige, but I'll give it props because what the box looks like actually is representative of what the game looks like. Okay, so actually there's some truth in advertising, and thank you, AEG, for doing that. You did that with Point Salad, you did that with Santa Monica, and you definitely did that with this game, which is, I got to look at my notes again. I have a good memory, but it's short. <laughs> Guild of the Merchant Explorers. Uh, Frenchie has had a uh, rough rough night's sleep. So uh, Guild of the Merchant Explorers is a game in which, uh, you know, you could describe it as a flip and write game, but you're not writing. You're actually placing cubes instead of writing. So everyone has a map with a hex grid. And, um, you know, everyone's going to have the same map with the same area of this, you know, this place, this this fantastical place. And you're going to have cards. And so you're going to have these cards that flip up and they show different terrain. You're going to take your cubes and from the center city, you're going to go ahead and put these cubes on the terrain and your goal is to go out and get different resources. You fill up the same region, which are connected of the same terrain, you get a bonus. You cover a hex with a coin, you get a bonus. Um, get to a place where you can go ahead and build another building, you can build a building there. Um, and so you're going to go through those same few cards, filling up those tiles, and then each era of the of the four eras, eras one, two, and three have a one, two, and three era card. So when era one comes up, everyone gets to draw an era one card, put it on the side of the board, and that allows them in era one go ahead and do something different. Like I can go ahead and fill up uh, C tiles in a straight line until I can't from where I am. Uh, so it allows you to do something different than nobody else can do. And you're going to play this and then if you build any uh, further out cities or villages, then you see at the end of the area, you go all the way back to the center and start out unless you have some of these villages. And then you can start from them so you can get out to the other reaches of the map far quicker. So. Uh, by doing that and building that out, you're able to do that. And so now there's also ruins that you can get additional uh, coins and different resources. And then there's the castles that allow you different points as well. In each turn, 
when you get to, or excuse me, any share, when you get to error two, you're going to uh, draw. Uh, so let's say you, you, you know, you're gonna have error one and error two. So in error one, you're just gonna have error one. Error two, you're gonna have an error two card. You can play that, but error one's gonna come up. Error three, you get an error three card, but you're also gonna have error two and error one come up. And in error four, you get to have all three come up and you get to do one of those a second time. So it creates a really neat little game. It's very puzzly, it's very fun. You're building this out, there's four different maps. The game screams for more maps. But there's enough game in there with the four maps currently for the four players that I think works really, really well. And again, the fact that it's not a, a you know, flip and right, the fact that you're using cubes creates a little bit something different than what you're gonna see out there. And I enjoy it very, very much. And it's been a solid game where some gamers, so we sit there and we're thinking, we're trying to uh, figure out uh, how to map this out and do really well. And it's very satisfying. Uh, and it's a light game, but it's enough gameplay and deep thinking uh, to go along with it. Uh, and it's tight. You open up the game, value for money, there doesn't look like there's much in the box. You're going, ah. And I, and I said the same thing with Santa Monica, but then you play the game and you're like, this is really, really solid. So that's my number 13, Guild of the Merchant Explorers. Very surprised hit for 2022. Ends up on Frenchie's list. Number 12 is the cutest game on my list, and I think most people are going to say probably the cutest game of all, and that is Flamecraft. Flamecraft is a game in which, uh, first of all, very fantastically produced. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but we are dragons, and you have a hand of cards, and you're going to be putting your dragons across the different shops. Now, this village where you're going to have the central board or map where you have the scoring track has these different spaces where there's going to be certain shops and your dragon can go to those shops and get different resources and play a card. Throughout the game, more cards will be there. So as dragons visit there, they're able to get more resources uh, and contribute a card uh, based on certain conditions. And there are different abilities. They can also swap cards out. They can do different things with those cards. They can recruit more dragons and they'll have dragon cards allow them to do different things, including end game scoring conditions. As the game progresses, you're going to have more shops populate the board. So there'll be more things to do. And it's a really neat game. Uh, very fun. Uh, does a lot with the resource management and worker placement and expandable board. Uh, that really satisfies, you know, the, the average gamer. And just the production is really nice and it's very cute. And there's promos, but I like how they've spoofed on some of the names of the different shops as well. So really makes a very pleasant game experience overall. Solid enough game, not quite enough to get in the top 10, but one I can definitely play over and over and over again, get a lot of enjoyment. So the replayability, the value, uh, the fact that it's produced really well. I went for the deluxe one, so got the coins and everything. You can definitely have a good gameplay experience with a with a cheaper version, but it still is really nice. But if you end up with a deluxified version, you won't go wrong. So I think you're going to be playing the game quite a bit to justify that expense and have a great time. So number 12 for 2022 ends up being Flamecraft. All right, so we're going to wrap up the uh, bottom half of my top 20 with number 11. A game that uh, I think also did not get nearly enough credit. Uh, and I think part of it is just how some people have felt towards Eldorado games um, from what I've seen on the internet. The Eldorado games put out a really solid game this year uh, that you know people were curious if it was gonna fund. Uh, the pandemic interrupted, but it got fulfilled. And they did a solid, solid job in this game. And this is Age of Atlantis. Age of Atlantis is a game, uh, you can say it's semi-co-op, 
where it is the island of Atlantis with big Poseidon statue with his trident pointing in one direction uh, in the center. And it's kind of a tower defense game where you're trying to prevent the tiles from flooding uh, and also uh, invaders and barbarian hordes that are coming in to destroy Atlantis. Uh, players have this board in front of them, track their resources that they have, but also uh, different resources based on monuments. They have monuments allow them to place them on the board and get certain different abilities. But also there's monument tracks and you can move your cube and that's gonna allow you to get different resources, different in-game uh, points or moving up the path on Poseidon's favor or different victory points and doing different things. Some of them are linked kind of a little bit of like a tech tree. But you also need to go out into Atlantis as the flood's coming in, as Poseidon's wrath comes through, and be able to go ahead and defeat these barbarians because you're going to get points based on those. And during the game, there's eight grid sections. So you're going to roll an eight-sided die, and you're going to put Poseidon pointed in that direction. And players who uh, happen to be in that section will go ahead and get Poseidon's favor. So there's a lot that ends up being this. And so the players are working together to thwart all of that. Uh, and, and stop the barbarian horrors and keep Atlantis afloat, no pun intended, yeah, all right, pun intended, but also being able to put themselves ahead. And similar to Scythe, as you go on the Poseidon's favor track, there is going to be a sliding scale of points. So the higher up you are, there's gonna be a multiplier effect. So really fun game, have played it in person, played it virtually, uh, and really have been impressed by it. I think Eldorado Games did a great job with it. Production's really solid. A recess board, nice statue, the mechs that are there, because you can actually have mechs that empower and they can really whoop on the invading hordes even more dynamically. Um, they did a fantastic job. So it's become my number 11, not quite the top 10, but a very great game in its own right. So that's Age of Atlantis, rounding out Frenchie's bottom half of my top 20 for 2022. Okay, here we are, the top 10 of Frenchie's games for 2022. And again, these games may change as I continue to play games in uh, in the beginning of 2023 that got released in 2022, uh, such as Wayfarers of the South Tigris, some things that I have not played yet, some things I've mentioned, some things I've not. But as it stands right now, I'm going to throw these out there as the top 10 games that Frenchie played in 2022. So we're going to start off with a, another game that I just continue to get impressed by Born and Dice. Uh, again, I did not play Toledum. Uh, I have it, just haven't been able to break it out, get it to the table, but excited uh, for that. But did play another game in the, you can call it T-Series. This is Terracotta Army. So Terracotta Army is an interesting game in where you have this uh, wheel with three different wheels that spin in opposite directions. Two of them in the same direction, one in the opposite direction is three. But anyway, and so based on that and putting workers there, you get resources. So there's a little bit of this mechanism of how to get the resources through that. But most of the game is going to be centered on the uh, one a third of the board where it is a grid. And that's where you're going to be getting these statues that are off to the side and acquiring them and uh, building them out. And based on how the... Uh, column is or the row is as you go up where you can place the statues and those statues are going to score points based on how they interact play off each other so it's a puzzly aspect with that and it seems like these components uh, necessarily they can kind of work okay but not but they work very well together uh, I like the action wheel very very much 
uh, and the resource wheel. But it's a really enjoyable game experience. If you like something that's a really good, uh, I wouldn't say crunchy Euro, but something to really think about, something to really plan for, really manage very well, understanding what other players are trying to do, and then building the statues and getting points and leveraging how you're building that because you know that uh, it's going to cost a certain amount for these statues but if you put them here what that's going to do how they play off other statues how they play off of other players how it's measured against the row really a really nice game and uh, i've only played it the one time but it really resonated with me and i really want to get it back to the table but it really landed square at number 10 for me because i walked away smiling uh and knowing that you know, this is a game that is just meant for Frenchie and was well designed. And again, board and dice, continuing up the good work. I like your quirky games, but they definitely hit a home run with me. So number 10 is Terracotta Army. All right, number nine, as I sip on some chamomile, Frenchie has uh, been, somehow has a cold today. Got to keep the pipes lubricated, but I have some chamomile, which reminds me of that line in that Gwen Stefani um, hey baby or, or whatever it is I'm not going to sing it but that line where I'm just sipping on chamomile little known fact uh, Frenchie did work with Gwen Stefani's grandfather uh, when he was in Anaheim so I never met her but met her grandfather very proud guy um, even though I wasn't a no doubt fan at the time but she's definitely a great personality anyway enough for name dropping let's go to number nine number nine is a game that is a re-implementation of one of Frenchie's favorite games of all time. And this game is a part of the Steffenfeld City Collection uh, that is just getting fulfilled now uh, and has uh, started to roll out throughout the world. Just got fulfilled here in the States a very short time ago. And that is Hamburg. Hamburg is a re-implementation of Frenchie's favorite fill game, Bruges. And I think Castles of Burgundy is the better design game. But just because something's better designed doesn't mean it is necessarily your favorite. Bruges is my favorite of his games. And it's been out of print for so long. I do have a copy, as you can see uh, right there. Okay. If you're looking at the video portion there, I'm pointing to it. Uh, if you're on podcast, theater of the mind. Okay. But anyway, so... Uh, Bruges is one of my favorite games in Hamburg's reimplementation, and I'm as excited at least that it's coming out in some kind of form. So Hamburg is that, and it takes Bruges and, and takes it up to a little bit different level. So you still have the same gameplay where you have cards and a dice, and so you are going ahead and drawing a hand of cards, you're rolling dice based on the dice, fives and sixes, move your thread markers up. And so if you end up with three thread markers, you have penalties such as losing a constructed site and the building it's on or just the building or all of your workers or all of your gold or different things that happen. <coughs> and then being able, <coughs> man, whew. not a great start for 2023, but anyway, so we're going to power through it. <coughs> so you have a reputation that you're going to go up this track. Um, you also have a cleric move because you have a timed move where everything was activated with the deck in Bruges. Now it's activated by clerics. So based on the black die is when the clerics are. And once those clerics are done for that round, they go down and you're going to get points based on the cards that you've played with those colors of those icons. So that's going to contribute as well. So that's one layer that they've added to that. Um, also, 
You're still going to be able to play construction cards uh, to, for the sites, uh, play cards on top of that. Those cards are going to impact different things. Now, what they've done is they made this game language independent to make it easier. So uh, now Queen Games did a very good job of indexing in the addendum all the cards. So you can look at it through number and color, be able to find the card, understand what it does, be able to do that. Once you get the icons down, it's pretty easy, but it's learning them. That takes a little bit. Um, and then you still have other things like you have a ship area, you have another area in the top that add to different features of that. This game allows you to play with five players without expansion. So it really takes Bruges and takes it up another level and uh, really creates a really nice gameplay experience. Uh, I like it a lot. Um, I have a couple of things that are not quite the same as Bruce. That's why this game did not end up higher on my list. Uh, definitely ended up on the top here. But, um, you know, a few things that uh, I'll save for my review of Hamburg. Uh, but uh, it's a great, great game. I recommend it. It tickles the itch. I'm glad that it's out because it gives people a taste of a very great filled game that he made. Glad I have the original copy. That's going to get buried in the box with me. So I'm sure somebody is going to exhume me at some point to get my copy of Bruges before it goes the way of the worm. But anyway, so I'm happy for Hamburg that it exists to help another generation of gamers see some of Feld's designs re-implemented. He did a very good job with this. Number nine is Hamburg. Ugh. Sorry, everybody. Uh, that's what you get for uh, for living in today's world. Uh, you're always prone to germs. Number eight, probably the biggest box of a game that I've played. Uh, one could say it's overproduced, but I think within the confines of the game, rightfully so. Number eight by Arcane Wonders is none other than Foundations of Rome. Foundations of Rome is a game in which you have a grid map uh, of uh, up to 10 uh, based on player count. Uh, so with two, it's going to be smaller. With full five, it's going to be the, the full board. And everyone's going to have a tray with the different buildings. The different buildings allow you to get a different population, different coins, points based on proximity of buildings next to it. And so players are going to have cards that they're going to draft from, be able to select. Those cards are going to represent, you know, A7 or B8 or J9 or whatever. And so you're going to take uh, some of your markers, put it on there. It says you own that. Then you can put a building on that site. As you, enjoy, as you acquire adjacent spaces, you can build bigger buildings. You can also take a building built, replace it with a bigger building as long as it's in the spaces that you own. But it's really playing off the building dynamic as foundation as Rome is being founded and built to play off to maximize your points and your population and the money that you get. And then you have different scoring periods at different points of the game really well. It scales very well really well implemented when you look at it you go oh my word that's just a lot of game that they really need to do it that way they probably could have but the way it's built and how the game looks uh it's just fantastic so the production value to me adds to it the gameplay there is solid uh very easy to teach very easy for a variety of different gaming experiences the monuments expansion um works very well. I think it enhances the game. You can easily play without it and have a very enjoyable time and would not diminish my rating of it whatsoever, but it adds a little something. And the box was well designed that the Monuments expansion fits inside the box as well, including all the five trays and the, and the component trays with the coins and everything. So done very, very well. I'm excited that I got it. I've played it a number of times and I have, it's gonna be a perennial favorite for me. 
don't know if it's an evergreen cost of production, but it's a game that is definitely going to be one of those heirloom games that you'll play quite a bit, but well worth it. I think it will wear very well because of production quality. Number eight for 2022, Arcane Wonders, Foundations of Rome. Great game. Frenchie in his cold. It's being a cold. My number seven is about the cold. It's about the Ice Age. It's about an endless winter, and that's Endless Winter Paleo-Americans. Uh, this game has a lot of cool things going with it. Besides the production, besides the art from the from the artist who did, um, you know, Valeria, as well as the uh, Garfield games, uh, North Kingdom, North Seas, West Kingdom, North Seas, South Tigris. Um, this game is combines a lot of the worker placement with some card action. Uh, and the ability to move your worker down to activate different aspects. If you're the bottom one of a track, you get different bonuses. But you're also going ahead and going on the, the map, the grid here, um, building the villages and building that out and uh, really just creating um, this engine a little bit to build things and score points. And then you have the ability to use your cards for dual purposes, particularly at the end of the round. Very well executed. A lot of people rate this game very, very highly for the year. Uh, I expect that this game is going to go up. I've had one play of it. I was very much blown away. You walk away from a game sometimes, and there's some games you walk away and you're like, eh, and you know never to go back to it. There's some games you're like, I'm not impressed. You give it another whirl. Oh, I get it. There are some games that just land fully. They stick the landing right on the first play, and you're like, Mingo, this definitely warrants that. And so, Ellis. Winter has definitely done it for me. Uh, I can't wait to play it more. Uh, we've really enjoyed it the first play. We want to continue to explore. We want to continue to get play with a different group of people to continue to see how it resonates. But we've all liked it, and it lands number seven very solidly. And like I said, sticks the landing, two feet firmly planted in the packed snow underneath. And that is my number seven for 2022. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I love to wear a scally cap, but I am not the Mad Hatter, and I'm not going to take this off because I don't want to blind you from the lights and the dome on top. But uh, while I'm not the Mad Hatter, game number six on my list for 2022 is about the Mad Hatter and everybody in that universe, and that is Wonderland's War. I was supposed to Wonderland's War at Escape WinterCon, and uh, had just bought the game, but I hadn't had a chance to play it. Wow, what a fun game. Uh, everyone is going to be the different characters uh, in Wonderland. Alice, Cheshire Cat, maybe in the Jabberwocky. Um, uh, and being able to go through the uh, Queen's Table. And you're basically going around and you're picking up different uh, cards because you're going to go ahead and use those later on. And then after everyone goes through the table and picks up everything that they need, then they're going to go ahead and deploy their minions or characters to the different spots areas on the board in Wonderland to go ahead for battle. And you're going to be committing different troops and different characters there using the cards for that. But the core thing about this is the is the bag building, using the chips. Um, and if you did not get the chips, I didn't get the chips. Now I've got those on the second Kickstarter. Um, I'm probably going to get coin capsules in the meantime. But you got to have the chips because it's so much more rewarding to play with it because uh, the game is well produced. But you're going to be pulling out these <coughs> chips. And again, you know, it's that push your luck style where if you pick the right ones, great. If you pick the wrong ones, no. But you're going to be using, that's going to help dictate what you can and cannot do. And then really minimizing the battles. And then you're going to have the score 
be able to kind of wager on these battles as well. You have the scoring track and even paying attention to the scoring track and how that interacts as well. So there's a lot of things you have to pay to. There's some micro games in here that work well. And it's a really well-produced game. It's just a fun game. Uh, not the first game that came out in this universe, but I think it's the best game that has taken Alice in Wonderland and really put it out there in what I think is a fantastic fashion with some of the zaniness that uh, you would expect in that. I've seen some people paint the minis. I don't know if I'm going to do that or not, uh, but a game uh, with or without painted minis, you get the deluxe version, get the regular chips, poker chips. They're fantastic, but the gameplay is solid. The gameplay is fun. Uh, it could be a little long, but it's satisfactory and works very, very well. And so that's my number six pick for 2022, Wonderland's War. Okay, number five. Big surprise for me. I had not heard about this game until my friend Rob brought this out at a con, and we played it, and I instantly fell in love with it. Um, it's a cute theme to a degree, but I like the variability. I love the gameplay. I love the fact that it's easy to teach, easy to explain, provides some strategy, provides numerous different ways, because it's just typical Euro-style point salad, and you pick one way to win, and you just go for it. It is a game that was published here in the States by Pegasus Spiel, and that's First Rat. First Rat is a game where you are rats, trying to go through the junkyard, collecting all these different things, uh, interacting with different characters to get different backpack bonuses, different energy drink bonuses, uh, moving a lighting track up to get uh, multiplier bonuses as well, moving through different tracks to get comic books, to get more rats on there, moving up the track, uh, and then getting points by building part of a spaceship uh, or donating cheese. And then how the game plays is that you cannot land on the same spot as, as one of your rats, but if you land on the same spot as another rat, you got to pay them cheese. You can go into debt on cheese, but you're going to lose points. But also, you can have different abilities that afford you not to pay cheese um, or, or move different uh, spaces. And uh, it really creates where you're trying to balance a lot of these things. You can't do everything well, but try to balance moving up the track and then balance your, your light is good, but you don't always have to do that. So there's a lot of different ways to win. And then one side of the board is a static board. The other side, you flip it over, and then you have the tokens, which represent the different spaces on the prior side of the board. They can go ahead and randomize and put out there to create. Of course, they're going to be scaled based on resource availability that you need to have in the game, but in create a variability. Well done. Well-designed game. A really nice game. I've taught it. It has been well-received. People like it. They've been very pleased with it. And a surprise hit for me. It lands very squarely at number five, and that's First Rat. Okay, number four. Probably one of the more anticipated games of 2022. It's a big game. Game's heavy. Game's heavy. I've carried it around a few times. Story behind that. Um, it's a game that's very satisfactory. Um, you know, it's interesting how you have a game like Tapestry that takes a civilization and you put it into, well, you're waving the tapestry. Now you have a new game that's about creating a mosaic, and that's called Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. But where this one succeeds, where Tapestry fails, and Tapestry is a really solid game and enjoy playing it, is that it really, it doesn't abstract the civilization, it really is a civilization building game. Uh, a lot of card play in it, uh, but you are <clears throat> putting the buildings together, you have resources you're picking up throughout this as well. Um, you have your board, 
uh, that you're that you're tracking everything on with your tracks. But you have the card play uh, kind of similar to Terraforming Mars or Ark Nova, where based on the icons of the cards allows you to get increased benefits uh, and different resources and everything. And so that game and, and how it's played out with uh, the card drafting and how the cards are played out throughout the year, excuse me, really creates a fun gameplay environment. Positioning your buildings, um, positioning them in proximity to other players, and then getting points based off of where your buildings, your ports, your cities, and everything are, are connected. Uh, really great game. Uh, done very, very well. Uh, some people have said it could have been done a little bit better. I think it's done very well. It's satisfying. It really sets out to do exactly what I think it's supposed to do and has become one of my favorite games. Uh, requires a fair amount of uh, people that are willing to play. Not a fair amount, but you know, people that are willing to play a game like that. It doesn't last all that long considering. And uh, definitely a game, even though it's heavy, get a hernia. Putting it to the table is definitely worth the effort. So my number four for the year of 2022 is Mosaic, a story of civilization. Okay, my last three. Um, this one is different from the next two because the next two are definitely going to be very Eurocentric. This game here, where I guess you could say it's Eurocentric, uh, is, let's say, re-implementation. Definitely takes the uh, mechanism of a prior game and takes it and puts it up to the nth degree. Uh, heat pedal to the metal is my number three. Uh, Days of Wonder has come back to the forefront. Probably the last game they had that really created any buzz was Five Tribes, which I have yet to play, uh, but have always wanted to do it. But Days of Wonder has really created Small World and Memoir 44. Ticket to Ride obviously has been a cash cow for them. But uh, the last few games really haven't resonated nearly as deeply. And Heat Pedal to the Metal has racing game with four different maps, a lot of different modules that you can implement, which create a whole lot of variability. But really the game centers around, everybody has the same group of cards. You can definitely get upgrades for your cards, create more variability. But you're going to be going ahead and based on the gear, playing those amount of cards, and then uh, having to move those spaces. But you might have heat cards that will clutter up your hand and be relatively useless. Um, if you take a corner, too fast. You're going to acquire, you know, if they take on heat cards, but if you don't have enough heat cards in your deck to take them on, you could spin out. Um, you're going to have stress cards too, which allows you to uh, have a variable, a uh, random element of how far you're going to go. And you're jockeying for position. So numerically, if you're all using the same cards, everyone should aim up the same, but it's really a matter of how you're using those cards as well. And you can definitely see some games that are very tight in some spots and some games that definitely break the pack based on doing that because you do have to gamble. You do have to take a risk and say, I've got to really push it. I might take some heat. I actually might not end up uh, you know, getting through the corner. I might spin out and have to start right at the beginning of the corner. But being able to play that, being able to push your luck, being able to see how everything goes, the game plays very fast. Being able to throttle up and throttle down. Uh, on your gear and you might take additional heat for that but you have ways of mitigating your heat and cooldown modes and then all the different modules and replayability that build on top of that this game is fun you can play with six players uh, this is a game that uh, just lends itself to enjoyable for families for game groups for experienced gamers for newer gamers uh, really have a good game probably could even do some side bets on that but that's up for you to decide I did not say that. Uh, so welcome back, Days of Wonder. Glad you're here again. They always do a really good job in the production quality. Definitely know that this game is going to be accessible 
once it gets out a little bit more. But it has definitely come up with number three because it's a fun, fun, fun game. Takes the core mechanics of Flamme Rouge, bumps it up, adds some really nice play to it. And I like Flamme Rouge a lot, but Heat is my favorite racing game. Well done. That's number three. So number two is a relatively brand new game from designer Stefan Feld, part of his city collection, the biggest game that he has uh, created. A uh, little bit of re-implementation from, what was the other game that he did with this? I can't remember now. Um, but it's a new game in its own right. And that's Marrakesh. Marrakesh is pretty big, epic Euro. Um, where what you're doing in Marrakesh is you have this board, it's recessed with these different regions on it. And everyone's gonna have uh, 12 cylinders or keshis. And everyone's gonna take throughout the different seasons three different ones, because you're gonna have, of the 12 different colors, one of each. You're gonna take them because you're based on, okay, what do I wanna do? Because they're gonna correspond to different colors on your map, um, or the ability to get water. And then everyone's gonna contribute three. And you're gonna put them in this tower. And that tower's gonna cascade down, and whatever comes out, you're gonna put there, and that's gonna be up for, kind of up for grabs based on player turn order. We're like, how come everyone just doesn't take them and put them there? Because that tower is designed to actually trap a few of those Keshis, so not all of them will come out. Maybe you put 12 in there, maybe 10 come out. Maybe the next turn, 14 come out. So it creates this variability, and that's how the tower is constructed. So that's a nice little design part in itself, kind of similar to Amerigo is, is the thing I was thinking of. But um, what you're going to do is, is in player order, you're going to go ahead and draft those and take those until no more there. You can only take them if you're able to. And you're going to put them in your board based on the, the area. And then you're going to activate those areas. And those areas, based on what you've played out, are going to give you different things. Like if you have the blue cubes, if you have so many uh, blue keshis in your blue area, that determines how many uh, pieces you're going to go on the river because you can go through the river and get bonuses and points and then that resets at the beginning of every turn. Um, you can uh, go ahead and go to the Grove and go ahead and get dates. Uh, you can go to the Oasis and get different bonuses as well, different abilities to get different resources. You have a wheel uh, that you have that allows you to get different resources from that based on how that wheel turns. So there's a lot of different things. And then on the main board, uh, you're also drafting tiles based on your scholars, based on your great caches of how much you can pay and then how many dates you can pay. And they give you resource bonuses and end of game bonuses. And then you have your tracks, your sultan tracks and points and resources there based on which segment is connected to which. And you have your choice based on that of everything. It does a lot of things well. It has become my favorite Steffenfeld game of, the, of this collection. And Definitely has landed in number three of my all-time favorite Stefan Fell games right behind Bruges and Castles of Burgundy. And may even challenge for one of those top two spots with subsequent plays. But it's well done. A really great design. Really nice. He does, again, it's a point salad at Stefan Feld. If you like Stefan Fell games, it's a really satisfying game. Like Euro games, this, again, gives you a lot of points out, a lot of options, uh, some variability and a, a different ways to go ahead and mitigate that. But you always feel like you're accomplishing something because of the Keshis, because everyone gets the same 12. You have a chance to contribute, you have a chance to get something. So there's a lot of different gameplay that you can play off some of the luck that's based on the tower, but very satisfying overall. Marrakesh makes Frenchies number two for 2022. Okay, number one, here we go. As I get... One more sip of tea down the gullet. 
number one was actually fairly easy for me. And while Marrakesh really ranks up there, number one uh, was a game that you just walk away and just go, wow, awesome, awesome. As you see, I like I tend to like a lot of Euros. I'm an Omni gamer. Play war games. I'll play sports simulation games. Um, I, I just do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, expandable, collectible card games. But this Euro game really hit a home run for me. Well produced, well thought out, well designed. Uh, the designer has not put out a whole lot of designs. The designs he's put out have been solid, very well acclaimed at Xavier George uh, or Javier George. And this is Carnegie, released here in the States by Quinn Games. Carnegie is a, let's say economic, but it's a Euro-style game uh, in homage to Andrew Carnegie, not Dale Carnegie, uh, but Andrew Carnegie, who is a well-known industrialist, businessman, and more importantly, philanthropist, uh, to show really what capitalism can be by funding a lot of public libraries and doing a lot of goodwill. But basically, every player is going to have a board of the building, and they're going to have different rooms. They're going to have the workers on those rooms, and those workers will allow uh, you, as you can move them through, to get different resources or different resources you can go ahead and deploy uh, in different ways. On the side of the board, there are these sliders. These sliders actually fit in the board, and they have a legend on the outside, kind of cloverleaf, that tells you, as you slide it out, what the bonuses are going to be. And so as you as you activate the workers and get all this and build your buildings and try to move your workers around and leverage that the slider comes out you're able to put a disc on it and then you can also go ahead and deploy that disc and get the bonus underneath and that disc is going to go ahead on the main map the main map is going to be the continent of the united states um, and has different uh routes that take you coast to coast from new york and boston all the way to san francisco la st louis points in between, Rapid City or Sioux Falls or whatever in the Dakotas. But, you know, to put those discs there, those discs will allow you to go ahead and connect routes. Uh, some of those discs have icons, will allow you to get money and different things. And then you can also deploy your workers to the different regions. The different regions means your workers are going to go there on a mission trip to do different things. Maybe it's planning a library. So they go there, but they are deployed for a specific period of time. They can come back to your board, but they're committed there. And then on those different areas where those uh, workers are committed, you're going to have three different ages of transport. By horseback, by horse and buggy, and then again by motorized vehicle. Being able to know a little bit how quickly things can move in a different area. But you're going to be able to generate points and resources based on what you do there. And then on the top part of the board is all the philanthropy that you can do. And that's going to help with end game scoring conditions. The game works very, very well together. Very seamless nothing clunky in it whatsoever works together very intuitive once you start playing you're like wow this i mean it looks like a lot but it just falls into place uh, in an almost like i said intuitive fashion uh, a way that is satisfying a way that you have agency you also can hurt yourself with moves you make you also have agency to always do something and plot out things and it really creates to me one of the finest euro game experiences i've, I've seen in a little while and while I think Marrakesh is fantastic, this actually takes it to the next level. So it definitely meets my number one. And then the production and the quality of it definitely underscore that decision 100%. So Frenchie's number one so far for 2022, other than Carnegie. And that's it. Okay, friends and gamers, hey, thank you so much for joining. If you haven't checked out 
uh, my earlier podcasts, my videos, go ahead and check them out. Looking forward to talking to you next time on what I anticipate for 2023. And until then, take care of yourself and play nice. Take care.